And for me as well, a big thing has been just realizing and learning how to lose control. And when it's your business, you like to really hold on tight and you really like to take that control. But as you grow in skill, you need to trust other people to do good work and you need to empower them. So at some point, you need to not be the smartest person in the room. Mm. And that's something that I'm really learning because if you're the smartest person in the room, you're always setting the strategy, then the business can only go as far as you. And so then you essentially become the bottleneck if you are holding your business back and the business is outgrowing you. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I am your host, Molly Stillman, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, community activist, speaker, author, leader, or just somebody who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal with this show is to show you, the listener, that no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you can make a difference. My guest this week is Selena Ho, and she is the founder and CEO of Recloseted, the first one-stop consultancy for sustainable fashion. Recloseted launches and scales sustainable fashion brands and helps existing brands become more conscious through their programs and consulting services. Selena leverages her experience working at startups and Fortune 500s and now leads an incredible all-star team of consultants, sourcing experts, and material scientists to transform the harmful fashion industry. Selena is one of those just incredible people who saw a problem and immediately knew that she wanted to do something about it. And she realized that she could use business as a force for good in order to make a difference in the fashion industry. I loved hearing Selena's story and I know that you are going to be incredibly inspired by her and just ready to make a change or make a difference. But before I get to my chat with Selena, I want to thank our partner of the show and that is Mama Suds. You know how much I love Mama Suds. They have been a partner of the show for a long time. Michelle Smith, the head mama at Mama Suds, is incredible. She has been on the show. You can actually go back into the archives and hear my conversation with her. But let me tell you that when I say how much I love this company, I mean it. We have personally used their products in our home for years. I think I first wrote a blog post about them back in like 2017 or 2018. We've used everything from their Castile soap, their laundry soap, their fine linen soap, their all-purpose household cleaner, shower steamer, stain stick, you name it, we use it and I love them so, so much. But what I love most of all is that not only are their ingredients safe, clean, non-toxic, but they're actually effective. The products actually work. So many times you come across these cleaning companies or these you know natural companies where the, the ingredients are great, but the product doesn't actually do anything. That is not the case with Mama Suds. We love them in our household. They are the only cleaning products that we will use. I would love for you to check them out. You can head on over to mamasuds.com and use the coupon code MOLLY and that gets you 15% off your order. That's mamasuds.com. Use the coupon code MOLLY and that gets you 15% off your order. Now on to my conversation with Selena Ho. Selena, I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. I am so excited to be here. 
I have just been recently kind of introduced to you. And when I was learning about everything that you are doing, especially in the space to support and launch conscious and ethical brands, I immediately was like, okay, I need to, I need to talk to her. I need to get to know her more. <laughs> and so I'm really excited just to introduce you as well to my community. And so I'm going to have you start off by doing what all my guests do, and that's give us the Selena 101. So who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you. Nice to meet everyone. It's so nice to be here. My name is Selena. I'm the founder and CEO of Recloseted. And we are the first one-stop consulting agency for sustainable fashion. And what that means is we help launch and scale sustainable fashion brands. But we also help existing brands become more environmentally friendly as well. And so that's a lot. But we do that through our programs and also our consulting services. And my journey to get here was that actually very interesting. It all started with a polyester shirt. And so I love this shirt. I had no idea really that it was made out of polyester. And I was wearing it one day at work and I was wearing it for hours and hours at end. And I started getting a rash and I've never gotten one before. It was red. It was just, it was just not great. And so I went home and I was Googling and I found out I was having like an allergic reaction to the shirt and to the rash. And that really spired me down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out why is you know crude oil in our clothing? Why is no one talking about this? And what can we do about it? And so I've previously worked at startups, Fortune 500s, and I felt really compelled to use my expertise and my skill set towards changing the fashion industry and really bringing awareness to what's going on and trying to make a difference. So that's how I got to where I am today. There's definitely a lot of different road bumps and I want to be as vulnerable and candid as I can with my audience, uh, with your audience, sorry, just because I know that sometimes when people go on podcasts, they make their past seem really linear, but that's not the case <laughs> at all. There's definitely trials and tribulations in between. So looking forward to sharing that. Yeah. Well, I love that you said that because the reality is, is and, and I would say maybe it's just because I, I find the right people, but I, I think it's, you're right. Our journeys to what we're doing are almost never linear. And to the people that they are, I just am like, well, you're a unicorn. You can get out of here. Uh, so, <laughs> um, was fashion just in general, was it something that you were always kind of interested in or did you just fall into this by accident? Yeah, it's always been something I'm passionate about. I used to actually be a fast fashion consumer. So I used to shop at those Zara Forever 21 type stores. And I used to impulse purchase. And I kind of mentioned before I was working a nine to five job and on paper, it looked great, but it was very soul sucking. And you know, when you're just miserable at your job, you try to find other ways to escape. And my coping mechanism was shopping and it was so unhealthy for the planet, for my wallet, and also for my sanity. And so when that happened, I just did so much research on the internet. I started talking to people and then I just documented all of my research. And it was just wild to me what was going on because fashion is so glitzy and it's so glamorous. Like we see the fashion weeks, we see the influencers, we see all the hauls, but we don't actually really see the truth behind who's making the garments, the materials in our clothes, the actual, the cost, because, you know, if you're paying $5 for a t-shirt, someone along the supply chain is not being paid. So like, where's the cost there? And so it's just wild 
what's going on in the fashion industry. And I just felt just so compelled to do something about it because no one was talking about it in my area. Um, I started Recloseted about four years ago. And even then, some people knew about it, but sustainability was still kind of hippie, if if that makes sense. And now I do find that more people are aware and getting more educated. But yeah, it was really just passion for clothes and then later finding out what the truth was and being compelled to just do more about it. So when you had this, which I just, I really, I don't want to say love, that's not the right word. Um, But I I think it's so fascinating that what really sent you down this rabbit hole was the simple uh, just reaction, a literal skin reaction to what you were wearing. And it sent you down this rabbit hole. And I would love for you to share, you know, a little bit deeper as to what you began to learn because so many people, I have so many conversations with people about this just in general. And I mean, for me, obviously, yes, I'm very passionate about the sustainability and the the materials and things like that. Um, but for what, where I really started was because I was working actually in, or had been volunteering with an anti-human trafficking organization. And so when I began Mm -hmm. to learn the connections with human trafficking and the fashion industry, that was what really woke me up. And then of course, from there, it just, it spirals into all the other aspects of um, the fashion industry in general. And so it was it was like, that was the gateway for me. And then I began to learn all the other things. And then I started to have conversations with other people and, and, you know, just saying like, okay, well, here's, here's the reality. Here's what's happening is yes. Like, you know, you see that $5 shirt, like you said at forever 21 or H and M or wherever. And I want to say to them, like, do you know the cost behind that shirt? Like, do you know what the, and I'm not going to do it in a like shaming way. Like, I don't feel like shame really? ever is uh, conducive or, <laughs> or productive, but just in a matter of education. So I would love for you to dive a little bit deeper into the things that you began to learn that were just shocking to you. Because again, when yeah. I, I had always had sort of thought of, especially with like the human trafficking side of things, like I had just never really put it you know, really thought about the fact that there are children that are literally like tied to sewing machines <laughs> working on these things. And, and or the fact that there's human hands that touch every single garment that you are wearing um, throughout the process. I mean, it's like a lot of times we think, oh, it's just a an assembly line or it's a it's a it's a robot that's doing this when like, no, that's not true. Like it's a it's a human being. So I would love for you to 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 talk about some of the things that you began to learn that were just mind boggling to you. Yeah, there's a lot, but I would say the top three is first and foremost, the materials. So in terms of the materials, I talked about it a little bit already, but a lot of the synthetic materials like polyester and, you know, polyester is literally in so many clothes now, it's made out of oil. And would you go to the gas station and put oil on your body? Probably not, right? But for some reason, we're putting it in our clothes, which is going to stay on our body for hours and hours on end. So that was the first thing that was shocking to me. The second thing too, from a natural uh, material perspective, like cotton, for example, it uses so much water. And in areas of the world where there's not drinking water for people, I found it mind boggling that we're growing these cotton plants so that we can just make another cotton t-shirt that we're probably going to wear like twice. Right. So I think just like from a materials perspective, there was so many resources being used and also really shady resources that people don't talk about. And so that was the first shocking thing. Uh, The second thing in regards to manufacturing, totally to your point, the some of the treatment of the garment workers was very shocking to me because when we get our clothes, we often don't think about who's touched it to your point, who's put it together. And a lot of these instances, 
the situation that they're in isn't great because maybe the factory is not set up for success. Maybe it's an unsafe working environment in that regard. Uh, from a pay perspective, maybe they're not even getting a minimum wage, let alone a living wage that they can actually support themselves and their families. And so there's that side of things. And then, of course, when I learned about Rana Plaza, which is the deadliest factory incident that happened in Bangladesh uh, almost a decade ago now, and that was just shocking as well because mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of people died because this yeah. factory didn't have the budget to just simply upkeep the building. You know, that's that's ridiculous. And so... That was really, really devastating. And then the last thing is just the amount of textile waste. Not a lot of people know this, but there's so much waste that is coming out of the fashion industry. And it's not just waste from materials on the production line. It's just straight up clothes that people are no longer wearing and they're going to donate it and feel good about it. But I would say, I think the stats like 80 to 90% of stuff doesn't actually go to someone in need because there's just so much that's being donated. And so what happens is in a lot of instances, the global north is now sending stuff to the global south and they're now having to deal. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but they they have to deal with our garbage now, essentially. Yeah. And that's so unfair. And if you just look on Google at some of the images, it's like mountain and mountains of clothing. I'm not talking about a couple of shirts here and there. It's enormous. And these countries don't have the infrastructure or the budgets to deal with this kind of waste. And so it's just so heartbreaking. Um, there is an and, uh, there is an organization called the Orr Foundation. They do some amazing work talking about what's going on right now with textile waste. And um, the founder is amazing as well. So I just wanted to do a quick shout out there. But yeah, those are just high level. Some of the things there's so many other nuances and we can dive in as well. But yeah. And if folks listening want to learn more, The True Cost is a really good documentary. Yeah. I I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but yeah, really good overview if you want to get started. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was on Netflix for a long time. I've talked about that documentary a million times on this show and just always kind of tell it, tell people that that's a great first place to start because I think it really does paint uh, a pretty high level and accurate picture of what things look like. And yeah, I've and I've also discussed on here a couple of times of um, on a couple of my trips to Africa where I was in areas where, you know, I was in one of the largest uh, dumps in East Africa and, you know, saw those things. I was um, in the Kibera slum. Uh, which is one of the largest slums in East Africa. And uh, just the piles and piles and piles of our clothing that is there that they just can't even manage. And that's just one small example of what this looks like. So you begin to you know, learn this. And I love that you are somebody who is a doer and you don't just say, wow, that's terrible. Somebody should really do something about that. And you actually get up and you do something about it. And so you started recloseted. And so talk about how recloseted works and how you have structured it over the last four years to make such a massive impact um, on other brands. Yeah. So it was really organic. I have a business background. And so there were some brands locally and I just started working with them pro bono for free because I was like, you guys are doing amazing things. I want to help you. And I quickly realized that I could actually turn this into a business. So I started doing consulting and it started more on the business side, helping brands scale, increase their sales. But I quickly realized you also need to help 
uh, brand set up for success in terms of launching as well. So we started programs there to really help them. And the program format allows us to afford it at a cheaper rate for them, but then also ensure that they get as much value as possible. And then on the other side of things, we have an enormous slew of brands that are ready available, but not doing enough. And so that's where the sustainability consulting comes into play. So I've now hired sourcing experts, material experts, scientists, and people to really really specialize in that area so that we can help these brands. Because yes, we need genuinely conscious brands succeeding, doing good things, but we also need existing brands to clean up their act because if they're already producing hundreds of thousands of clothing, the impact if they change is huge as well. And so we tackle it on both ends and it's a lot, but we do manage it with the team and with kind of the programs and the services. So that's how we've been able to do that. So give an example of some of the the brands and that, that you have worked with that, you know, because again, you you kind of talk about uh, how you help certain brands, you know, launch and scale kind of whether it's somebody that has like a seed of an idea, or maybe they're an existing brand that is just looking to uh, maybe improve in certain areas. Um, give some examples of who you have kind of worked with and, and how you've, you know, kind of structured custom strategies for each type of company. Yeah, for sure. So on the launching and scaling side, we really work and sit down with the founder to figure out what their budgets are, what their resources are, and what their goals are. And then we go from there. And so a lot of the times I find that we tend to work with really creative people, very passionate people, but they just really need the business knowledge and the expertise to set themselves up for success. So if that's coming in, figuring out a really good product strategy for them so that they know what their margins are, they know how to be profitable, they know yeah. what to charge. I think that's key. And one heartbreaking thing too, is that a lot of them will think that they're like hesitant to charge what it needs to be because consumers are so conditioned to paying fast fashion prices. And so maybe one call out to your listeners is just to be more receptive to potentially paying more for your clothes and thinking about it more from a cost per wear perspective, just because a lot of these brands, if they're paying for high quality materials, if they're paying the garment workers a living wage, their costs are going to be higher and they also need to be able to sustain their business. So they have to add their margin on top of that. So that's just been something that we work through with founders as well. And then of course, helping them with their marketing strategy, their sales strategy, so that they can build an intentional community that understands what they're doing and wants to support them as well. And so that's more on like the launching and scaling side. And then on the sustainability side, this is really where most of the custom stuff comes into play. So it varies brand to brand. But again, we sit down, we figure out what are your intentions with this, first of all, because we've actually had situations where we haven't worked with someone because I feel like they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And so that's really important. And then, of course, sitting down to figure out what their budgets, timeline, scope is. And then we go from there. A lot of the times we need to sit down and start with like a strategy, figure out what their priorities are going to be. And then we can do an audit of existing what they're doing, set up their reporting, because a lot of times that's not in place. And that's so important. And then, yeah, a lot of the times we summarize that in a report as well. That's internal and also external facing. I'm curious, can you, without naming names, kind of talk yeah. about some of the people that maybe you've come across who you realize, I don't think you're doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. So we have a discovery call process and I would say that it is definitely more of an art versus a science form. So I'll ask very pointed questions around why are you doing this? You know, what's the motivation behind it? What is the goal out of it? And of course, if you're going to invest in something like this, you want a return on investment. But if you're 
only objective is financial and you're not thinking about the environment or thinking about the longevity of your business in terms of like future proofing it just for future consumers, then it's a bit of a red flag. And then of course, when we start working together, if there's certain things they're pushing for and certain things that we're recommending, but they're not implementing because of costs or because of certain other reasons, another red flag, right? So I would say a lot of the times it is kind of checking your gut and things like that, but based on people's motivations, you can tell pretty quickly. I talk to people about this all the time, just in general, like whenever, whatever you choose to do, whether it is podcasting, writing, uh, you know, speaking, starting a, a, you know, a fashion brand or a financial advisory practice or whatever you choose to do, you do have to think about your why. Why are you choosing to do this? And I, it's not that choosing to do something to make money is bad. And I have talked about a lot about this. I think we sometimes demonize success in business and um, which I think is also not the right, you know, mindset. It's, it's an overall mindset of what are you, what are you hoping to do with this long-term? Like, is this something that you would do or pursue if you didn't make money from it? Because the reality is, and like, we're going to get to in a minute, this gets hard. <laughs> Business is hard. And when you are starting, especially if you're, you're you're going into a season and a space of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is hard. And so if your only motivation is financial, you're going to quickly be disappointed. <laughs> and so because something is going to come along that is going to test your will and it's going to test your ability to uh, persevere. And so you have to have a deeper why a deeper purpose to what you're doing other than just financial that yes the financial side again is important and and we should talk about that but again you've got to have something that's a little bit deeper and so with that um i want to kind of go back to you and and how and you pursuing this and realizing that this was something that you really felt called to do um and you kind of alluded to that there were some bumps along the way and that that's the journey wasn't linear and so i'd love for you to dig dig a little bit into that and and explain you know we obviously saw your motivation and your purpose and your passion behind it what did it look like when you started to pursue this yeah, just before I dive in, I just wanted to say we're on the exact same page because I always tell people too to figure out your why. Yeah. And I also recommend you write it on a post-it note and stick it everywhere so yes. that you remind yourself constantly why you're doing this. Because mm -hmm. to your point, there's trials and tribulations, there's rough patches, but you need to keep going. And a mentor of mine always tells me, you know, you haven't failed until you stop. Mm. And so until then, everything else is just a learning data point, right? Like it's not a failure until you stop. And so, yeah, make sure you just really hone in on your why. And so for me, my why is personally to transform the harmful fashion industry. That's our mission behind me closeted. And yes, it was not a smooth ride. So when I first started, I was still working my nine to five job. So I'm really proud to say that this business is completely self-funded by myself. And so awesome. I did the side hustle thing and that was that was difficult, but I think also what I needed at the time because I didn't have to worry about finances. I could invest back into my business, but that just meant for me, I was working some gnarly hours. And so that meant after work, weekends, I pretty much didn't have a life for a couple of years. And 
the reality is if you're going to do that, you just need to really prioritize your time and you need to surround yourself with people that get it. And, you know, people really supported me in my life and that was really, really nice. And they were understanding when I couldn't go out or I couldn't do certain things, but that was just my priority for the last couple of years. And so just making sure though, in those situations, you really try to set yourself up for success because burnout is so real. And I've burnt out, you know, many times throughout that, as you can likely imagine. And so um, some tips maybe is just really making sure you set really hard boundaries for yourself. So your work is only paying you to work from nine to five. So just work nine to five, do a good job. But after that, like really make sure you have that time for your business. And then also making sure too, that if you are tired, just give yourself compassion, give yourself grace and try to simplify things as much as possible too. I think in business, a lot of times we tend to make things really complicated and that's not necessary because we feel like we need this or we need that, or there's that thing and we get shiny object syndrome and it's just not necessary. So just Okay. I'm stealing that. Hold on. I love it. Shiny object syndrome. I don't know if that's original to you or not, but I'm totally stealing it. I love it. Oh, it's not original to me. I I stole it from someone else. So go for it. (laughs) So we're going to all steal it from each other. There's like no original thoughts anymore, but I love it. Yes. Shiny, shiny object syndrome. Oh, yeah. Like just because, for example, TikTok is taking off and you have to be on it. Like actually think about if you need to be on it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just making sure you don't get shiny object syndrome, you focus on the task at hand and just be gentle with yourself. And then when you are ready though, and when you know that this is a viable business and you have enough in your savings, you have enough runway, take that leap and just go for it full time. And so that was kind of like the first challenge I was dealing with. And then lately it's been a lot of like team challenges, contractor challenges and service provider challenges. I'm really learning that it is hard to find good talent to work with. And when I'm so mission-driven, I want to make sure that everyone is aligned with our mission. Everyone knows what we're doing and we put our best foot forward. That's not to say that we haven't hired some amazing people. We have, but definitely it's my first time really running a team of this size and this caliber. So just always making sure that I'm always up-leveling myself and I never want to be the bottleneck to my business. And so, yeah, it's just been such a journey of growth. And I know there's a lot there, so feel free to ask any other questions or we can dive deeper as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I I want to unpack that whole idea of because I think this is really key for a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs where you said you don't want to be the bottleneck for your business. And uh, I would love for you to just share what has that looked like for you where you've realized, OK, I'm actually getting in the way right now. And that is so hard, especially for entrepreneurs who maybe started a business by themselves and then they are starting to grow a team or, you know, it goes from just them and maybe a business partner to suddenly, you know, you have four or five, 15, 30 employees and um, on up where, you know, you're having to adjust from uh, really only answering to yourself <laughs> to where suddenly you now have a team. And um, that is a really common pain point for entrepreneurs where they feel like suddenly they're like, oh, okay, I'm I'm getting in my own way or I'm getting in the way of my business growth. So I would love for you to share what how how has that played out for you? Yeah, it's been really interesting because what I'm realizing is that at every level of business, you become a better version of yourself. It's almost like a video game. You're leveling Mm. up. And so when you first launch your business, that's a certain person. When you take your business to six figures for the first time, that's another person. If you want to scale to a million, that's a whole other different person as well. And so it's almost looking at it like a video game and getting really excited to meet that version of yourself once you get there. 
And for me as well, a big thing has been just realizing and learning how to lose control. And when it's your business, you like to really hold on tight and you really like to take that control. But as you grow in skill, you need to trust other people to do good work and you need to empower them. So at some point, you need to not be the smartest person in the room. Mm. And that's something that I'm really learning because if you're the smartest person in the room, you're always setting the strategy, then the business can only go as far as you. And so then you essentially become the bottleneck if you are holding your business back and the business is outgrowing you. So if you're in that situation, you either need to get the skills that you're missing and figure out what that looks like, or you need to hire someone that is in that expertise and they can bring that skill set and then you need to trust them. And so, you know, ideally you do a bit of both and you continuously grow and you iterate and you also trust your team members. But that's kind of the space I've been in and definitely relinquishing control, at least for me, has been tough. But when you hire good people and you build trust with them and you communicate with them and you set them up for success, you can definitely do it. So good. And I love what you talked about relinquishing control. And it's funny because I just two weeks ago when when this airs, two weeks ago, I'd had my friend Sharon on the show and she had just actually come out with a book called The Cost of Control. Um, and we're not even talking about, you know, like entrepreneurship really, but we were just talking about um, we got on the topic of control when you are in a position of leadership or if you are a business owner and when you have a hard time delegating or trusting your employees. And uh, we talked about this concept of spending or earning leadership capital. And so every decision you make as an entrepreneur, as a leader in the workplace, or, you know, if, again, if you own a business, you are constantly either, either earning or spending leadership capital. And so with how you treat your team. And so if you are trusting your team to make the decisions that you hired them to make or to Mm -hmm. do the things that you hired them to do, then you are earning leadership capital. But if you are constantly micromanaging, if you're constantly criticizing or not giving your, you know, your colleagues the freedom to do what they are created to do, then you are spending leadership capital and eventually you you will run out. And um, so I think it speaks exactly to that. And, you know, you said that this has been somewhat of a learning process for you. Um, Was there something in particular that was really difficult for you to let go of or let, you know, like let go of when it comes to controlling it um, as you were scaling your business? Yeah, I would say a lot of the client facing things, because of course, we want those to be perfect. And what I've now realized is that if you tell your team what the outcome needs to be and what the goal of the task is, you can trust them and empower them to get there. It may not look exactly like how you thought it would look. And that's okay because they think that's the best way forward. And at some point you do need to take a backseat so that you can scale. Otherwise you're going to burn out. You can't be everywhere and you know doing everything at once. And so empowering the team with that. And I'm borrowing this from Brene Brown, but she talks about painting done in her leadership book. And I mm. find that's really helpful. So I can tell you, hey, Molly, I want you to, I don't know, reach out to this client. But if I tell you, Uh, I want you to reach out to this client. I want us at the end of it to be able to know exactly what their budget is this quarter, exactly what, you know, they want to spend it on and how they're feeling. I've kind of painted done for you and then you can go off and do it because a lot of the times if I just tell you to send an email to a client and I have that in mind, but I haven't related to you, 
your version of sending an email to the client and my version of sending an email to the client could be vastly different. And so painting done can be helpful, especially if someone's newer or this is their first time doing a certain task. And then having just SOPs in place. I know people, some people can hate SOPs and processes, but they're there for a reason just to help the team. And if especially if there's a lot going on, you just want to make sure everyone's set up for success and they know what they're doing. Mm, So good. Now, another topic that I just want to briefly touch on because, and I know that this is probably one you could do an entire podcast episode on, but (laughs) I, because that this is another pain point that I have heard so much from friends who are in, uh, you know, sort especially in the brand space, um, entrepreneurs in general. I mean, really anybody is really struggling with this, but in particular, business owners. And that's the the idea of future-proofing your business. And I know that this is something that you have a lot of uh, expertise in, a lot of experience in, but this is obviously so top of mind for people as we are, you know, whether people want to argue whether we are in a recession, entering a recession, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But yeah. the reality is, is the the way that the economy looks right now and with inflation and supply chain issues and yeah, we could go on. Um, yeah. What have you found has been the thing that you have really been focusing on to future proof your business in addition to working with all of these other brands and businesses that you do work with to future proof and recession proof their businesses? Yeah, this is such a great question. So in regards to what's going on right now, I think most folks would feel like sustainability would take a backseat just because it seems like a nice to have versus a must have. And I would say it's actually been the reverse. Like I have a few connections and people in my network that are in the venture capital space and they're saying that sustainable finance is just as big as ever, even though we're kind of in a quote unquote recession. And so it just goes to show you that something that's important, there's going to be funding and there's going to be money towards that. And so for you, for your business, there's two folds and two things I would recommend. First and foremost, making sure that your finances are sustainable and your finances are in order. Yeah. And then secondly, making sure that your business is also sustainable as well. So in terms of the finances piece, of course, just making sure you have runway. If you haven't already, take a look at your costs. Is there any subscriptions that you have forgotten about and that you can cancel? Is there anything from a just like overhead perspective that you can lower? In terms of your employees, I've personally made it a goal not to lay anyone off. I know we've seen on LinkedIn, there's just been so many mass layoffs and it's been really heartbreaking to see. So if you can take care of your people or if you can just give them some sort of reassurance or plan even because people don't like to be in the dark. If you can give some sort of plan, that would be great. And so just make sure you really know your numbers. That's so important. And just put away as much as you can right now, Mm -hmm. because I really think that you need strong cash flow for recessions. And then in terms of the actual sustainability of the business, this is really important to future proof as well, because there's so much legislation coming down the pipeline. And so first and foremost, if you aren't already paying attention to that in your country, in your area, I highly recommend you get up to date so that you're not shocked by it when these things do come into play, because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it's coming down. So get on top of it. And then from a consumer perspective, I likely don't have to tell you and your audience that consumers care about this now. Like they genuinely are asking brands where this stuff is being made, what it's being made out of, why is it priced the way it is and what your brand's priorities and values are. So just making sure you think through that as well, because I really think that 
in these sorts of difficult times, people think twice before they buy and they tend to buy more intentionally and more thoughtfully, which is a good thing, right? This is what we should all be doing in the future. And so just making sure you think about that as well. And I'm also happy to talk about some maybe easy or low hanging fruit ways to incorporate sustainability in your business too, if that would be helpful. But those are just some of my thoughts. Yeah, I would love for you to do that because I think this does often feel like a just an, uh, a monster of an issue for people where sometimes they feel like, well, I don't even know where to start. Yes. So in terms of just with incorporating sustainability, there's a few things. First and foremost, figuring out why you're doing it, like we mentioned already, because when you internally know why you're doing it, you can experience like just making sure that everyone's on the same page and you can engage your team. And then externally, you're also able to communicate that because if you don't know why you're doing this and it's because your customers are doing it or your competitors doing it or because you should be doing it, it can come across as greenwashing quite quickly. So you want to make sure you're very intentional about why you're doing it. And then next, I always tell our clients to pick priorities because as a business with limited budgets, limited resources and limited time, you really want to make sure you're tackling certain things so that you can actually go further with them. So with sustainability, there's so many things wrong with the world and there's so many things you could be doing, but that gets really overwhelming quite quickly. So is eliminating plastics important for you or is conserving water important to you or is making sure everyone in your supply chain is treated really ethically important to you. Really pick one to two priorities and then work on those. And you can communicate that to your customers and tell them, this is what we're choosing to do right now. This is what we're choosing to tackle with our time and our budgets. And as we get more funding and as we grow, we're going to be able to tackle more things. But this is what we're starting with. And that can be really helpful. And then last but not least, I always say too, if you can find a way to be more intentional and thoughtful with your products, that's really where the magic is as well. Because there's so much overproduction happening right now. And I get it. You don't make money unless you produce something and you sell it. But how can you make that process more intentional? How can you potentially produce less, but make more because it's more thoughtful? It actually solves a pain point and a problem. You're not just making product for the sake of making product. If you can be more intentional with your products from the get-go, from the design stage, that can also help as well. Well, I'm so glad that you bring that up because like, what immediately comes to mind is my friend, Bethany Tran, who uh, is a founder of the Root Collective, and they're a, an ethical shoe company. And they've been around for years, I mean, probably six, seven, eight years at this point, and uh, probably coming up on eight years, I would say. For them, last year, they made a really significant change to their business model which people were just like, what? When they did it. And I remember <laughs> um, they moved away from basically carrying stock to what now their entire business model is a pre-order model. And it is with the goal of producing what actually needs to be produced versus, you know, overproducing and having too much stock. And for them, it was a huge, uh, you know, risk. And I remember. Bethany kind of talking about how, you know, people thought that she was crazy when she was moving to this business model. But of course, like with all the supply chain issues and COVID and all those kinds of things that she just knew, she was like, this is the direction that we have to go. And yeah. for them, it's actually been a really wise business 
decision because then even when they have, you know, their their doors for certain products that they open up, you know, pre-orders for, it almost creates like a sense of urgency because people are like, wait, I have three yeah. days to decide, you know, but then they're only producing what they actually are going to, yeah. to sell. And so, uh, but yeah, and, and it just, it for a lot of people that aren't in or aren't used to the slower ethical fashion movement and are used to being able to go to, you know, Forever 21 and buy a pair of shoes for, you know, at any time or go to rack room and just buy a pair of shoes. It's a different mindset where you have to be like, oh, wait, no, I can't just get this at any time. And um, but it's been a, a huge blessing for their business in, in both on both the production side, but also on the the people side and the and the consumer side and on the business side. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually recommend to all our clients that are just starting out and just launching to launch with pre-sales because to your point, you get to know exactly how much inventory you need. You know exactly how much materials you need. You can tell your production partners and then you're not sitting on inventory because the most stressful thing is having hundreds of thousands of dollars tied up in clothing or shoes and you have no idea how you're going to sell it. Like That's not sustainable for your business and also not sustainable for the planet. Yeah, absolutely. Man, this is so good. And there's so many things that we could continue to unpack um, around this topic. And um, I know that you also host a podcast. So if this is a topic and that you are interested in, please be sure to go check out uh, Recloseted Radio, which is Selena's podcast. And they talk all about these different types of things of scaling ethical businesses. And, and you know, again, all of these topics are, are super important. Um, so, but before we get to the get to know you round, Selena, I would love for you to just share, um, some, you know, just some final words of wisdom um, and also just how people, you know, that might be listening and are interested in either scaling their current brand that they own, or maybe they've kind of had that idea in the back of their head where they're just like, I would always, I've always wanted to do this. And I don't know how, how can they best get in touch with you to work with you and, and hopefully get their business scaled or, or started? Yeah, thanks. I would say in terms of my last words of advice, I would say that this is a massive problem in terms of transforming the harmful fashion industry. And you are not responsible to carry the entire industry on your shoulders. So if you ever feel overwhelmed, if you ever feel stressed out, or if you ever feel some type of way just running your business or starting your business, just know that you are not in this alone. There's folks like myself, there's folks like Molly and a bunch of other different businesses out there as well. And we're all in this together. So just remember that. And just also remember your why as well and make sure that that keeps you through it. And we're always available for a chat. So you can reach us at Recloseted on all social media platforms. Molly also mentioned this, but I have a podcast called Recloseted Radio where I go more in depth. So feel free to listen to any of our episodes. And then last but not least, we have a few free resources on our website. So if you go to recloseted.com slash launch, there is a free ebook to help you launch your brand there. So make sure you download that. If you're looking to scale, it's just recloseted.com slash scale. And there's a free ebook there as well. And then last but not least, I started a YouTube channel, which has been Ooh. a lot of work. Yeah, but you can search for us on YouTube at Recloseted Consulting. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Selena, now's the portion of the show where we just ask some fun get to know you questions. So are you ready for the get to know you round? Yes. All right. Question number one. If you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night, rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, this is hard. 
Same meal every night for the rest of my life. I would say maybe some sort of like poke bowl situation. Ooh. So it could be like a little bit healthy, but also I love poke and I don't think I would get sick of it. Okay. How, how do you like your, your bowls? What do you, what's your dream poke bowl? Uh, so either cauliflower rice or quinoa and then some greens. And then of course, like either tofu or some sashimi, depending on what I'm eating that day. I'm not completely plant-based yet. I'm trying to get there, but I'd say I'm kind of a flexible pescatarian right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I like it. I like it. Okay. Um, what is something I would never guess about you? Ooh, this is good. Uh, Something you would never guess about me. I'm very outdoorsy, actually. I, you know, when I'm public facing, I'm like wearing more like formal things, but I love to hike. I love to camp overnight. I'm also such a big snowboarder. And I think my love for the environment is also why I feel so called to do all this work because I want to protect the planet and ensure that everyone can enjoy all these amazing things. But yeah, I'm really outdoorsy. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. What is the song that you have to sing along with the second you hear it. Oh my God. I sing along to everything. <laughs> I I love singing. I love karaoke as well. I would say anything like Spice Girls. Yeah. Beyonce's new album as well. Just just literally anything that that gets you going and you know you can dance to. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Okay. What was your favorite TV show to watch growing up? Oh, that's a good one too. I'm trying to think. I really liked friends. Uh, I really like the nostalgic aspect of it. Um, I think that was like the main one. And then honestly, I I was also like, I I used to play a lot of piano as well. So I didn't watch like that much TV, but I would say like mainly friends. That would be like the main one I was like always watching. I love friends. Yeah. So it's really funny. I learned that. um, So we have volunteered with an organization uh, last year called International Students Incorporated. And what they do is they connect Uh, students who are studying here, you know, from other countries, international students, they connect them with families to, you know, have them over for dinner and things like that so that, you know, they don't feel totally alone when they're here in a totally different country. And it was really interesting because we had a large group of students from India and we learned that Friends is massively popular in India and like they all watch it. And like a lot of kids actually learn how to speak English by watching Friends, which I just think is hysterical to me. (laughs) I just, I love it so much. So we would just sit and like talk about Friends for, we were talking about our favorite episodes and our favorite characters. I just thought that that was amazing. So uh, clearly, clearly Friends is like, it just transcends cultures and countries. And I love it. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And then my last question is, uh, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? This is a good one. To me, it means that it is really viable for every party involved. So it's viable for you as a founder, for your team, for the environment, for your customers, and it's just sustainable across the board. Awesome. So good. Selena, this has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you for the work that you are doing. Uh, Thank you, Molly. This is so great. And I hope that it was helpful to your audience. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you loved it. If you learned something new, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would not mind, would you take a moment to leave a review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support week in and week out. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing this show. And as always, go do something good with purpose on purpose.